This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hello, hi y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. Aloha, y'all. All right, the frequency of synchronicity is song. Uh, let me restart that. Hey, Riot, can you stop licking your nails? Hey, Riot, stop. Stop. Where do you want to go down? Down. Where do you want to go down? Just none of that licking. Sometimes she gets a little neurotic about licking her nails. Yeah, dogs tend to do that. This could be, um, actually, maybe we'll leave this part in because (laughs) I'm sitting here with, obviously, Araya, my beautiful pit bull, or I'm her human. I'm not sure how I really believe about that. And then her son, Ruff Ruff, is right below the camera, and I'm uh, sitting with Joshua Rainier Gold. Is that how you? Rainer. 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 And definitely the frequency of synchronicity, I would say, has been a major part of this what we're, what we're about to do, and uh, this podcast, obviously. Uh, Josh, I'm stoked you're on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, man. I'm glad we were able to do this. In person, too. Yeah, I know. What are the odds? In Boulder, Colorado. Well, the odds. What are the odds? I think, uh, I wonder if, I think the odds are even less of when I ran into you in Venice yeah. Beach as you were walking your pit bull right. shirtless. That um, was, what, 2019? Early 2019. Yeah, over two years ago. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't think I, I, I may have recognized you from Instagram. I'm like, I think I recognize that guy. And most importantly, it was just like, who's this crazy shirtless guy walking a pit bull? Because it reminded <laughs> me so much of myself in so many ways, like right down the street. Yeah. And um, allegedly, there was more to that story than I knew when I even did that. Okay. On your, on <laughs> right. your end. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. your end. And, um, I want to bring up a few things about that run-in. First of all, yeah, what happened to you in that run-in, just for so we can think of the plot about the synchronicity. And you know how I was basically telling Araya what to do before this podcast, you know, really commanding her. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are about how important it is for a, a canine to have a commander um, if a human's going to own it, and especially the pit bull, if you have anything to say about that as well. Well, I mean... You know, we we made dogs, right? We domesticated them. So they don't really know how to exist without us. That being said, due to the way that nature works and instincts work, if you left them alone for years and they were able to breed and anything in the wild, they would figure their stuff out. The, but, pit, the pit bull specifically. Well, I mean, I think... I think. I mean, what about like those dogs that are all C-section babies? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, well, that's... You know, nature takes care of itself, right? So, if you're a Frenchie or pug, whatever, that are always C-section, then they'll they'll just die out. But at the same time, you're implying though that those types of dogs would only breed with themselves, but that's not how dogs work. There's no there's no breeds in the in nature, right? So all the dogs that are physically capable of breeding with each other would, and then you would kind of get something that would sort of look like some weird mudded kind of thing um but you know if you take somehow we got went from a wolf to a chihuahua and well i don't know if it's really possible if uh, we're given enough time and the right elements you might be able to take a chihuahua back to a wolf that might be a little bit of a stretch but 
It's a great thing to think about. Sure. Especially so relevant um, on, on today's conversations. I'm imagining will be about lion versus sheep. Okay. As the first podcast guest, uh, JP just released a video about that, like right. asking people. Hey, did you see that one by chance? No, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Are you going to comply? Are you a right. sheep or a lion? But anyways, I just think it's a fun way to start this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think of what type of animals we are, right? And both like what are what is our genetic animal and then what's the expression of that on the other end you know because you can see you know people dogs and they can be the exact same species the exact same breed and they act very differently and so there's that kind of conversation about nature versus nurture um genetics epigenetics environment um how we adapt to things and you know the one of the things that I definitely noticed when I got a dog, because when I got Leia, my pit bull, that was the first dog I've ever had that was mine, you, I really felt like I started to understand people better because I started to notice how patterns change her behavior. And we are just, perhaps we might say, more advanced in some ways versions of animals but we learn the same way. It's all patterns. And we're always adapting our behavior to patterns. So if you do something and you get a good response, you're more likely to do that again. If you get a bad response, you're less likely to do it. And then you're also, one thing that you notice if you've ever been around a very, very small child, which you know you have your own daughter, um, young, young little humans are just trying to see what they can get away with. They start acting in a way, and it's, it's, I've noticed especially with the, with the young boys, they do something and they're, they're, trying, they're trying to push the boundary. They're seeing where the boundary pushes back on them. And then at some point, that kind of regulates itself and then they kind of adjust and work more into, I don't know, what we might call um, well-behaved, though. With the lions and sheep thing, though, maybe that's not such the best thing, depending on whether or not that boundary is a, uh, I don't know if I'd say true, but perhaps maybe a more... Uh, more aligned or even moral boundary. Oh yeah, I totally get enthralled by exploring that idea because I do think for physical reasons that boundary is extremely important as a young child especially. I mean all reasons. Sure. But like physically it can like oh that's a dangerous cliff. Yeah. Oh that's a dangerous river. Like they that's so important to learn for survival, just pure survival. Now the sort of thriving through our ever-changing culture and maybe the being receiving pushback culturally. But breaking through that, I would say, is maybe where a boy becomes a man in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, that's, that really is... The, the development of a, of a man versus woman is a different type of experience. Um, and there's a, there's a professor... I, I, I believe she might be, I think she's a psychologist. You might want to even call her philosopher as well. Uh, I think her name is uh, Camilla Paglia, or maybe Camille Paglia. And um, she has a quote that says something like, a woman simply is, but a man must become. And that, I think, if you can understand what that means, that can really teach you a lot especially as a man of what that experience is like. Because when you understand what our responsibility is as men, 
you realize that there's a point where you become one. And that's not when you your balls drop or you hit a certain age or something. It, it's really when there's a shift in you internally where you are now in that protector provider role. Are you looking after another being, right? And so that can look like something that looks like a husband or father. Um, and I perhaps might think that that's uh, the best way to go about it. But through all of uh, the history of mankind, not all men reproduce. But you can still be a man and be of service to your people um, through things like hunting, like protecting, um, you know, building things. And as long as what you're doing adds to your community and, and helps people, then I think that can qualify as kind of taking on that role of a man. The, the woman's role is a little bit different. That experience is different. You know, we kind of talk about like, you know, and it gets like a trope. It's like save the women and children, right? So in women and children, you have grown females and then you have small females and you have small males. But the grown males is kind of like a separate category. And part of that, I think, is, you know, one, who's going to be more effective at doing the saving, the fighting, the protecting, but then also who's more precious in a certain way, right? Because if you have a society, let's say you have like an, an, an island and you have 99 women and one men, you can have 99 babies in a year and all of a sudden there's a lot of more people around and within a couple generations, you can, you can fill that island with tons of people. If you have 99 men and one woman, not only, I would say you don't end up with any babies because all the men are going to kill each other for that one woman. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there's, I think there's something more innate in the female experience where like a young girl can come into that more womanly role of nurturing and caring for you know, siblings or, or other, other, you know, young children and babies that doesn't require as much physical development as like, you know, a man, you, you got to wait a long time before you can really even attempt to, to step into that role. Now, some can get into it early, but there's a certain amount of development required to hunt, to protect, to defend that kind of stuff. Yeah, I haven't met uh, met too many like really young men that are nannies. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's not that you know that's not our nature as much. Um, you know, there are you you can certainly help out. I mean, that's the thing that we're so far removed from is that we put children into daycares and schools where they just kind of waste their time learning about a lot of stuff that really doesn't actually help someone live life. Um, but if you live, even, even today, if you live, you know, somewhere rural and you have a farm or you're homesteading, those two, three-year-old, you know, boys and girls can start helping around. They can, you know, they can go collect the eggs from the chickens. You know, they can, they can do little stuff in the garden. They can do all kinds of stuff. Now it's not like, you know, we have this weird idea where, you know, with, when we had the industrial revolution and then all of a sudden kids are like working those are like jobs but 
all those jobs aren't like really real things are working for someone else, but life is just life and you have your family and whoever's around you to try to survive and care for what you have. So if you have, you know, a, a husband and wife and a couple kids, you best believe that every single person in the family is going to do their part as soon as they can. And whatever that looks like, you're, you kind of have to do that. Otherwise, when you live off the land, you're not going to survive. Otherwise, the more, the more mouths you have to feed, the more, hands you have to work as well too. Um, and I, I think that plays such a larger role in the development of a child and in, in becoming an adult, becoming a responsible man, women, whatever that is. Um, I think that we would see a lot better, better men today, more responsible men, more capable men, if from the get-go they were put out there to help with you know, what the family does as opposed to you know, the, the, the father or perhaps the mother going to work and the kid kind of just like sits in school all day. He's not really assisting the family. Um, I guess the goal is what he's going to sit there for 18 years learning stuff. And then, you know, he can go out into the world or maybe go to college or something and maybe make some money. But we view money as this solution as opposed to actually, you know, what can you actually do? What can you actually be useful for? What can you be productive for? How can you help out? Well, it sounds like you're what I've always I've struggled with for a while is understanding the difference between education and domestication. <laughs> is there a difference? I, I mean, it's just so similar in so many. I understand. I'm, I'm being a bit of a, a funny pessimist there, but it is. And well, oh, and prison and jails. Like, well, I mean, there's nothing that resembles jail more than like the public school system. Like you are, you are told where to be at what time, when you can eat, when you can go to the bathroom. You're put into rooms, and if you want to leave the room, you have to ask for permission. Um, you know, there's a, a Michael Malice, who's a like a libertarian anarchist. Um, I don't know, person. He has a podcast, and he wrote a book and some wrote a couple books. What's he had. Do you know the name of his podcast or a book? Uh, it, his his podcast is called You're Welcome. Oh, okay. Um, but like, funny enough, not like you are welcome, but you're welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, you know, anyways, mm -hmm. um, he has a quote that he says all the time. He tweets it all the time. And it's something like, uh, public schools are effectively prisons for children and are likely where they're going to experience the most violence in their entire lives. Yeah, that's true for me. Yeah, I would say it's pretty true for right. me. And especially I got, like, I felt I had issues with school, especially with asking to go to the bathroom. Yeah. That one. Well, so I had a, my favorite teacher, actually, uh, I had him in seventh grade, 10th grade, and 12th grade, English teacher. His name was Mr. Ramos. He was my favorite teacher. And uh, he was very funny. Um, and if you asked him, can I go to the bathroom? He would say, I don't know. Can you? <laughs> and if you said, uh, Mr. Ramos, did you get a haircut? And he said, no, I got all of them cut. <laughs> he thought he was being clever. We thought it was annoying and hilarious. Um, but yeah, he was a great teacher. But yeah, anyways, yeah, it's kind of playing with that can I go to the bathroom kind of thing. Um, I mean, I didn't go to a public school though, so the experience I think was a little bit different. 
You oh, still yeah, kinda... I understand there's different like Davina's first school experience was an all outdoor like forest school. Yeah, I mean that's that's they, great. I think they peed in the woods. They did have an outhouse for some sure, session, but sure. they, she was peeing in the woods. See the thing is that's rare, right? But I think that is something that we might think only uh would suffice for a very small child, a very young child. Where it's like forest school, great, that should be your whole damn schooling experience. <laughs> Like everything else is so far removed from like, okay, think about this. If you are a like computer programmer, if you're a lawyer, if you work in business, you work in marketing, like these things that are um, highly paid. And if you do these things, you're respected within in society. It's like the power goes out and now you're completely useless. Like without, without the systems in place, you can't do anything. And it's not that you know, there's anything wrong with having those jobs, but you should be able to, you know, uh, hunt, uh, gather food, plant food, build a shelter. Um, are you are you physically capable of helping? Like, are are you are you in a certain amount of shape? Can you climb a tree? Can you run up a mountain to maybe look for something? Can you pick up something heavy? Like, you know, not that you can't do the, those things and also have those skills, but those things are prized so highly and you're paid so much money for those things, but they only provide value in a fake system. And that's what our whole system is built upon is, you know, our dollar is fake. You know, all of these, these laws and, and taxes and regulations and things, like they're all fake things that only exist because people believe in them and go along with them. The second you stop believing in them, they cease to exist. Yeah. Okay. So I finished the movie Contagion last night again for <laughs> okay. the second time. Have you seen Contagion? I have not seen it. Oh my goodness. First of all, <clears throat> I'm pretty certain I did a little research after watching because I just had to do uh -huh. little bits. And it was released September 9th, 2011, which I think is 10 years to the date of uh, this Biden six prong mandate plan. Okay. September 9th. Okay. So you mean like this? Yeah, yeah, okay. And this movie is like, you would think the news is trying to follow exactly what happened in this movie. Right now, yeah. Exactly. I mean, except the response is like in the movie, the, the virus is way more fatal. Sure. And it came from like a bat and swine mix. Mm -hmm. But the whole mask... Uh, rushing to get a vaccine lottery system yeah and the name was even like similar that and i think i sent you last night about covid being backwards yeah uh, yeah do you something. know anything about that word um before that i've seen someone post that before but i mean i hadn't known about it until you know someone else shared it on social media or something but i mean you know the that goes back to the you know inversion thing that you and i were talking about the other day um you know it's like you can get really carried away with some of these things. And I think some people definitely do. And they're kind of in like crazy land, but based on the way that all this stuff kind of works and kind of the way that like evil works and, and the inversion of everything, if you take something and just flip it, sometimes that reveals like the whole thing. Um, so it's kind of like, because that's kind of how that's how it works on that end. It's you have to flip it to then get back to, 
the get through the illusion of it. It's like flipping it is actually what shows you reality. It's like if everything that you had been seeing is through a mirror, the only way to actually see the true reality is to then give it a mirror back. I mean, there's a lot to that. Live backward is evil, interestingly yeah. enough. Yeah. Dog, God. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, man. So um, what do you think? What do you think about the lion versus the sheep and contagion showing this now and people? Okay, well, what do you, what do you think about the current thing with this six-prong mandate plan without knowing the details, but just people thinking that they are required to now get a vaccine? Because that's the sad potential. The, the saddest part about this to me, one of the saddest parts about this to me is that um, – People think they have to do this. People think they have to do each of the things that they're being told to do. It, you know, it's like from the beginning, it was the businesses thought that they actually had to close. The, um, the, all the, the rules that were put in place, the people thought that they had to wear the mask. You know, that, that's just from the day one. If no business ever closed and no business ever acquired the mask thing, None of this ha- even starts. It doesn't go anywhere. And so... When you- she Uriah, she's been swimming in the river a lot. Nice. That's probably why she looks so ripped. Um, so with like, with the, I mean, I haven't seen the Contagion movie, but you said it's like a bat swine mix kind of a thing yeah and then yeah and, so and all they they're masking children unless you're not contagious there's like a few different things it's yeah. almost like the news was wishing right it was working out more like the movie so uh i didn't know about this until recently on only because people started talking about it and i found out about it but i think it was like 1978 we supposedly had a swine flu thing and they came out with a vaccine and it started killing people it killed like Less than 50 people. And then they, they just like stopped it because it killed 50 people. Um, and then what was it, 2009 when swine flu came back? And then if you were, and I didn't remember this at the time because I wouldn't have been paying attention to something like this. I was in college and I was probably drunk at the time. So <laughs> whatever. Um, but uh, uh, in 2009, they tried to do a vaccine thing. They tried to get everyone to get vaccinated. Obama was all about it. Um, and it just it didn't go anywhere. The, the, I mean, I remember hearing about swine flu, but it just never caught on enough where they could make it seem like it was a big deal. Um, but, you know, they, they started, they did the, the making the vaccine thing and then they're trying to get it out and no, no one bit on it, right? And then so... Uh, this time around, I think, one, you have how much the internet and social media evolved and developed, and then you have the fact that, you know, Trump is president, and, you know, because if you remember, at the very beginning, um, it was, it was uh, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi saying, uh, go out into Chinatown and, and hug your, your Asian neighbors, um, which I'm not... I think you should go into Chinatown and hug your Asian neighbors, but the, like their whole side, and by there, I guess I'm saying something that looks like that side of the political spectrum. We're saying, oh, this is not a big deal. This is, oh, you're being racist by thinking that there's a disease or something. Um, 
And it was, honestly, I, I saw people on the internet who were more, I guess, right-leaning, who were more freaking out about COVID. They were talking about and preparing for it and, and protecting themselves for it. And I don't know exactly what caused this shift to happen, but I think it became a very clear way to create problems in an administration that people didn't want, perhaps. Um, not that I think that there's actually a difference between these two sides of this thing, but it's all this sort of game that's going on. Um, and then it became very serious all of a sudden. And then all these regulations and rules and stuff come into place. And I mean, at the time I didn't really know much about this kind of stuff. I hadn't really spent much time learning about it. And so I was like, Oh shit. Um, I guess this is kind of a big deal or something. Otherwise, like, because like we've never seen like anything like this before. And I mean, I was I wouldn't even go see my parents. I'd live 30 minutes away from them. My parents are old, they're in their 70s and 80s. And so I was like, I'm gonna stay away. I don't know. I don't know. And I I never had to worry about my health for a second. Um, I kept hanging out with friends and doing whatever I could do and doing jujitsu and whatever it was. I mean, my gym closed, so it was just kind of like well, um, I just would have invite friends over and we would just work out in my garage and watch TV and stuff because there was nothing else to do. Um, but, you know, you're, they, they put all, push all this fear on you and that's what happens. It's fear, 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 and then it creates a reaction within the system and sometimes, somehow, there, there's adjustment, right? Just like with training the dogs. It's like you push something enough and it kind of, it's hard to get rid of that thing once it's that much in your face. But then a certain amount of time goes by and you're like, this, this doesn't really add up. Things are starting to not make sense. Uh, you see, I said 15 days. We're, we're, we're going way beyond 15 days. Um, but I just don't think a lot of people are in a place where they have the ability to or even want to think critically or to question anything at all. They will just accept whatever it is that is told to them, if they deem that who's telling them that is, you know, a position of authority or correct or, you know, knowledgeable or responsible or something. And I mean, I would say they most likely learn that at first from their parents, which I think is necessary. Right. But then they start learning it at school. Well, so that's, that's the thing. Years, that's the thing years. is that the way that, you know, you ask, you ask what, how much is education versus learning or domestication, yeah, domestication, right. Yeah. Prison. And so, the thing is, think about the, like the words educate and school or, you know, ed educate's a verb, schooling is a verb. All of those, those words imply something being like put into you, right? If I'm going to school you on something, I'm going to show you how things are done, right? It is a directional thing for me to you. Uh, if I'm going to educate you, it's the same thing. Teaching and learning are real concepts and I don't really think those things exist within the, the school system. Um, we should be teaching people all the time. We should be learning all the time, no matter how old we are, no matter how uh, young we are, no matter whether it's the young person teaching the old person, the old person teaching the young person. We are constantly supposed to be learning and teaching and learning and teaching and in our interpersonal lives with everything and everyone that we come across. And so... The, the school system, you know, like we've only, the Department of, of, of Education has only been around, I think, since like the 60s. 
our modern schooling system has really not been around for more than like a hundred, you know, I think it's like a hundred years, maybe not even for the most part, people just somehow learn the things they needed to learn by just being humans. Right. I mean, if you spend time around people, you'll learn how to talk, right? If you spend time around people, you will learn how to do the things that they're doing because you mimic them and you will start doing the thing. You'll pick up the thing and you'll be bad at it and you'll keep doing it and you'll look at them and you'll observe them. And yeah, you could be like, oh, actually, you know, you want to do this. And then the kid's like, oh, okay. And then, okay, sure. We can, we can teach them how to read and write and we can teach them how to do some math. Um, but beyond that, like what you're doing is not teach them anything. Now you're just indoctrinating them into a certain system and, and not just that, but like to be obedient, to sit there still, which a kid should not be sitting in a room still for hours at a time. It's compl- it's ridiculous. But what you're doing is you're just, it's just, it's this repetition of obedience, repetition of obedience. You're just training children to then grow up essentially and, where our, our schooling system comes from is like to work in a factory, to sit there for hours and just kind of like work like a little, you know, cog in a, in a wheel kind of a thing. And, and so you have these people and, and so the school system rewards people who do what they're told. And so that's why you have all the people in academia and the media um, being such big parts of that equation because those are people who rose to the top of a system of doing what you're told. Doing what you're told, doing what you're told. And if you don't do that, then you don't make it to the top of those things because that's not how those things are designed to work. And so that's why you have the people who are going along with this and promoting this and not questioning it. They fit into that model. You know, I myself, I remember being in, in second grade and at my school, um, if you didn't do your homework, starting in third grade, you got something called a pink slip. So you had this little piece of paper and you had to uh, take it home and get your parents to sign it that you didn't do your homework and then bring it back and show the teacher that you signed it. But they didn't have it for second grade. And I didn't do my homework in second grade and I had to, for some reason she decided that we were going to start doing pink slips. I had to walk next door to the third grade classroom. You know, kids that I really didn't know and teacher they didn't know. And I had to basically interrupt the whole class and be like, I need a, I need pink slips because I didn't do my homework. And it was just like, it was so awkward. I was so, yeah. But I mean, I didn't do my homework for most of my schooling experience for, for really no other reason. I just didn't want to. But most people think that they have to do this thing because they're told to do it. Like if you think, think about it for real, if you don't do your homework, what happens? If you get a bad grade, what happens? As, like, assuming that your parents don't actually care about the thing, they don't get mad, like, does your life actually change? Does anything really happen? Now, okay, it goes on some record, then at some point, then what, the school that you might want to go to doesn't accept you or then the job you want to apply to. But those things aren't real if you don't give them any power. If you don't want to go further into the system, it doesn't mean anything. And that's why you have people who go along with a system that doesn't exist, but because they believe in it, it does. That's a good summary about my ideas around, <laughs> my questions around education versus, I mean, I, I, I hear people's like defensiveness, like, oh, if they, don't, if they get bad grades, they're more likely to end up in jail. 
and like back to like Paul. You mean like, wow. Once again, jail and some schools. But that, don't but that's look a, too different. But that's the thing, though, right? Is that they, if they get bad grades, they'll end up in jail. Or is it people who end up in jail tend to get bad yeah. grades? Yeah. Right. And so, if you are, if you're not going to school, and you're at home with your family all the time, and you're doing stuff with your family all the time, you are. You know, you're you're out in the garden, right? You're you're building a shed with your dad. You are your time is preoccupied, and you're actually developing skills and learning things and developing a really strong relationship with your family. I guarantee you, there's not a lot of homeschooled kids in prison. There's not a lot of homeschooled kids getting arrested for anything, violence, drug use, stuff like that. That I guarantee you, their rates are far far lower. The problem is, though, that you're looking at the people who don't get good grades who are in a public school system in cities. And we think that cities is like an acceptable result of like the human condition. And it's, such, it's so far away from anything that resembles nature. Um, and not just that, but the bigger these cities get and then you have other interests in play and you're getting... Um, different institutions and, and organizations and, and uh, politicians getting involved. And then it's always, you have outside forces trying to change what your life is like. Okay, we're going we're gonna to fund this thing. Okay, we're going to put this project thing here. We're going to put this center thing here. We're going to do this thing. And so what it, you're doing is you're taking away uh, agency from people's lives and you're taking away the potential and the opportunity to develop oneself and so what what cities are you know it's like think about like living in like a high-rise apartment building in like new york or something like that you are stacked up on top of and beneath and around like hundreds of people and to go outside might take you like five minutes to get outside if you have to, if you're in a in a high building that has like a lot of stairs or something, you know what I mean? Like the idea that you're not you're not even on the ground, you're not even close to the ground. You are so detached from the power that is in the earth, the power that is outside, on the ground, in the air, everything. And as you get more and more removed, you get more and more atomized. You're kind of this like especially if you live by yourself in an apartment. You are this singular, lone thing. And then it's, okay, well, I need to uh, go out to some uh, other location to do something. I'm going to go out to some restaurant or I'm going to go out to some bar. And then at that point, now you're reliant on this this system that's in place, these um, businesses that are in place for just the ability to like spend time with people. Um, you know, otherwise you're kind of like alone in this thing and like you're ordering food in and you're having this isolated experience and you're watching your Netflix and you're like, we're not supposed, you're never supposed to be alone. Like never supposed to be alone. Okay. Maybe when you go to the bathroom, you like kind of dip off into the woods a little bit, but you can still see and hear everyone. You're just kind of like going behind a tree. I'm assuming I would honestly wouldn't be surprised if in like 
more a more primitive human experience, a more kind of natural tribal thing. Like you didn't even like isolate yourself to go to the bathroom. I'd believe that. But we <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't really care. Well, I was thinking like we're never supposed to be alone. I think of once again, like maybe a boy to man initiation. Like yes. Solo. Yes. So so there is there uh that's one thing that I've been thinking about a lot. One in kind of trying to think about masculinity more and kind of what that means, what that development of a man is like, but also trying to think of what the natural state of a human is. So there's like, there's the village and then the men go off together to go hunt, right? So you're getting a group of men together, but then you have these rites of passage, which was often a man must climb to the top of something and retrieve something just you know, kind of show that he's been there. Um, and that is like this, that's an isolated experience. Right. Like that's like what we're talking, like maybe like a day or a couple days. And then you're going back to the world and you're kind of never really supposed to be alone. And it's kind of like it's a test. Right. So that individual test to earn some type of honor and recognition, um, not to be like your default state. Right. And to think about this, you go off alone and then you come back to everybody. You come back to a whole village and maybe they're cheering for you. Everyone's happy to see you again. Your, your, your parents and your siblings. And I mean, the thing is, if you're that, everyone is your family. You got your cousins and your aunts and all, like, that's what everyone is around you. You come home and if, assuming you pass the test, you're being celebrated because you've gone and done something. But you come back. You come back to something. Being alone and just sitting in your apartment by yourself day after day after day after day with not, not having some, something else to like to come home to. Like that's not supposed to happen. But it's what happens to most people. That's, that's, like, that's the uh, predominant situation for people. And think about our, like all this you know, lack of, of physical, emotional, mental health that people are having. Okay, so... If I'm alone, now I'm seeking some type of entertainment, something to make me feel better. So now I'm more likely to eat something that's not good for me because it's, it creates this like weird dopamine reaction. I just need, I need a little hit of something. And oh, okay, now I don't have anyone to talk to. So I got to put on Netflix or something, something to make me feel like there are people around me, something to give me some sort of entertainment. And then I can sit here and just like think about things with no one to talk to, no one to bounce things off of. And I'm just, spiraling into these like abysses that people get into when they get these crazy like anxious states or these really depressive states but you're supposed to come home and you're supposed to eat with family you're supposed to eat with people and you're supposed to laugh and you're supposed to cry and you're supposed to tell stories and you're never supposed to be alone and then if you have something that had happened to you there's always people to talk to about it but honestly they probably already know about it because they were there when it happened and so they're it's like they don't even have to get invested into the thing when you tell them because they already are there and that back and forth is always happening. But now you have this isolated, atomized, individual, singular person who has all these things going wrong in their life and they have no support system and they're just more and more detached from people, from nature, from reality, from everything. And so now I'm reliant on a little screen in front of me to connect me to the outside world. I could go outside, but I don't know. That's scary. I'm going to sit here and this is my comfort 
version of the outside world. And so I have little little faces or little words that's tell me what to think and tell me what to do. And oh, did you hear about this thing that happened in Southern Country? Oh, do you think about this thing that happened with this celebrity or this politician? It's like, now I'm caring about this stuff that has nothing to do with my life. That if I didn't pick this thing up, I would never even find out about it. But now I'm thinking about it and now I'm stressing about it. And now I think that I have to like put energy into it. But my place is a mess. I haven't, you know, I haven't uh, worked out in weeks. I haven't uh, done anything but order takeout for God knows how long. And it's, oh, but this is, it's just, it's just, I'll go back to the distraction. Yeah, it's pretty surreal looking at it from like an alien or a child's perspective. Yeah. You know, if we weren't trained to be accustomed to it, the idea of something like that would be ridiculous. Like, I mean, so the, I, f- I forget what, what, where these people were from. There's some people who live in kind of like a tribal kind of thing. And, uh, you know, someone is kind of going there and, and interacting with them and talking to them about certain concepts. And they ask them to dry, draw a self-portrait. They ask the man to draw a self-portrait. When we think of a self-portrait, we think of a drawing of ourselves. This man drew his wife, his kids, his grandparents, his cousins, his aunts and uncles, and all of their possessions. He drew everything that was in his life because his life is full of abundance. And he does not exist without all of that other stuff, without those people, without those things. Those things that he had, I mean, we, you know, we're a very materialistic society, but his items aren't materials in the way that we think of them. There are things that he probably, you know, put his blood, sweat, and tears into accumulating or making. The food that he, that he harvested or hunted for or the tools that he built. And so what, he's, what he sees as himself is the product of everything that he has, that he has produced and everything that has helped him do that, like his whole family. And I think that is one of the most kind of clearest depictions of how alone and isolated that we are and how if you showed a, a real undomesticated human what our existence would be like, they would either almost, they would laugh because they wouldn't even believe what you were saying or they would find it incredibly sad. But they probably would laugh because I don't think they could even understand the reality that we live in. I think of uh, the Rastafari culture, I and I and I. I also think of our tribe design events and our Rob Ross retreats. Right. We got, I got a real, I got about 54 night experiences there you of go. like, of knowing really in a way what you're talking about, but not really at the same time, just more real and since compared to your average Joe. Well, and well, I come from a big, fa- big family and I've lived in community a lot intentionally. And, you know, I also have never experienced like living in one tribe for like years and right. years and years. So, but I have, I so happen to have a lot of firsthand empirical evidence of this. But, but, but think about that, right? Is you understand its value. So you're being drawn to and putting effort into oh, yeah, a lot of effort. <laughs> being around people. And so if you look, everyone is desperate for community, desperate for it. Which is why people on the internet, even though they're in their rooms by themselves, they take up all these like weird hobbies and weird identities to feel connected to other people. 
you know, my my social media bio is going to just list ways of categorizing myself so that I'm I may feel like I am one of another type of person as well too. I can put a name on it and now we can connect on this thing. But for the most part, a lot of those things don't even actually exist in real life. But two is even if they do, it's like they're they're this like false manufactured attempt at that. Now, I think like what you're talking about doing is you're actually trying to build the real thing. The problem becomes is that they are they're always these temporary things. You know, it's like, oh, I'm gonna like if I go on this retreat and I build all these like amazing relationships and I live with these people every day, like that's amazing. Um, and the thing is you do, you get so close to people when you do that, but that relationship has to last beyond the retreat. And I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that you've built a lot of relationships from those things where you had these people who came into your life. And then after the fact that you're very close friends, but are you then going to go and live in community with these people? And I think that's what that's what people today so desperately need. And I honestly think that it's the only way forward. The only way is to create something that is filled with people who you love and that love you. And the best way to do that is family. The best way to do that is to get married and have a shit ton of kids. Because when you do that, that, that anchors something so strong. That has, you know, if you have like five plus kids, when like you're sitting at the dinner table every night, think about how many different people are there and they're there every single night and your, your connection is so strong and you, you, you speak a language that no one else quite, quite understands. If you can kind of like set roots in like that and actually anchor into a physical location and establish not just what you have between yourself as a family, but then connect your family with other families. Yes, we might not be related in the way that we were previously. You know, we don't have generations and generations of traditions and, and uh, cuisine and, and these things that it's kind of like, you know, there's a certain trust that is kind of inherent in what we're all blood kind of a thing like that. And we depend on each other for survival. But that kind of world doesn't exist right now. But we can build the next best thing, which is coming together with people, like-minded people who have the same goals, the same vision for the way they want their, their lives to be led, to be lived. And, you know, you put those, those communities, those families together, those big families. And, you know, it's, it's okay. So if, if everyone has five kids and you have 10 families, in that first generation with the parents and the kid, well, you have, you have um, six, 70, 70 kids, right? So 10 families times two. So you have 20 parents, and you have 50 kids, you have 70 people. That's a shit ton of people for a community. And once everyone starts getting older and you know, starts to develop more and become something that more resembles an adult, and not just that, but the idea of kids interacting with people of all different ages as they get older as opposed to being only with people of the exact same year, which not only that, doesn't even have any bearing on their development, any bearing on their, uh, their intelligence, their skills whatsoever. It's just this artificial confinement of people into this weird limiting thing where it's like 
you know that they're going to have to interact with people of all different ages at some point, and you're putting a hindrance on that now. But instead, if you have, you have family, you have community, people of various ages all interacting with each other, the kids are always t- talking to kids of other ages. The kids are always talking to parents of various ages, and perhaps you have grandparents in the community. You have, uh, you know, maybe if you could actually get uh, big extended families and you have kind of like aunts and uncles and cousins and things where you have people who know how to interact with people of all ages from the very beginning. They understand birth and death, right? You, you have kids are going to be seeing the births of their siblings, of their, of their neighbors, and they're going to be seeing as the grandparents die. And that there's going to be like a, a never-ending cycle of birth and death as opposed to a very rare thing where there's a birth and a very rare thing where there's a death. It's, it's constant, and that connects us with that, that, that true experience of life and death because you can't have one without the other, right? They're, they're these both inherent parts of the, of the condition of being a living being. If, when they're that connected to what it is for a human to, to be born and to die, and you know, if, if they're connected to the earth, if they're planting things, if they're hunting things, if you know, they're killing things themselves, they understand life so much better than anyone else could who lives in a city could ever understand. Wow. Well, there's amazing how much how much resonance you have with what I've been experimenting with for so long. And you know, we've I've been in places where people have talked, 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 and I know people that have tried, 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 tried. I don't know if it's the um, outside world is just so distracting or they're still so dependent upon the outside world financially or if there's like because if they were so conditioned by the outside world that the language is divisive and there's a lack of communication or what it exactly is. But I've seen a lot of these intentional communities just not work out. I mean, it's it's not easy. That's the thing. It's not easy because... How sure can you actually be that your vision is aligned with other people? It's it's one you know if you've been in something for generations, you're just keeping the ball rolling. But if you're trying to start something entirely anew, it's like you kind of have to establish some type of like, I mean, for lack of a better word, laws. You have to establish some agreed upon values. You know, you have to like, it's like you have to write like a, a communal mission statement to even start the thing. It's like, do we even want the same things? And, and not just that, but are we actually going to follow up with those things? Are we going to follow through on those things? It's not easy. And then there is the aspect of trust. If we are not blood-related, our ability to trust each other just becomes harder. It's just, it's just biological. Whenever we see something that we don't recognize that looks, the more something different something looks, the less likely we are to trust it because it's less familiar. And so if you're not related to people, it becomes harder. And of course, with the way this world is, you're not building a community of everyone that's like your cousins and stuff. You're, you're building community with people that are complete strangers. And you know you can become very close friends with people. But still then, it's like you've, you've probably known these people you're going to build the community with for like maybe a couple of years. Probably not that long. And so it's it's definitely not easy. And I'm not saying that, yo, oh, all people just need to do is want this thing and it'll happen. 
But I do think that people think they want something. And, you know, just like you said, they're, they're, they're attached to something else. And they, they're too distracted by the outside world. Because if you want to build a community, something like that, and to actually be connected to each other, like I think that has to look like one night every week, the whole community has to have dinner together. Funny enough, I think that's one of the things that the patterns I've heard in successful communities. Yeah. Is the once a week check-in. You like, like you, church. Yeah, no, exactly. I was about to say. And you, it's like you have to go to church. Like, I hear I hear some you know, I hear the haters like about this sounds like a cult. Good. I hope it sounds like a cult because it is. A a cult are are people who are coming together with a uh, a like minded kind of vision and worldview who remove themselves from the outside world. The only way this works is if you do that. If you make the world among you greater than the world outside of you, there's no other way for it to work because your investment, your energy has to always be inward in this. It has to be within your family and between the families and what you all work on building together. You need to have, you need to have shared projects. We are going to uh, have a shared space or we're going to we're going to farm together. You're going to, you know, you might raise the cows and I'll raise the goats and you grow the potatoes and you grow whatever. We ha- it has to end up that we are dependent and reliant on each other to become self-sustaining. And, and again, part of that means are we dependent on each other for community. And so we do have to go to church. Every Sunday, the community has to gather together and, and uh, you know, break bread as they say even if you're gluten-free, you know, <laughs> break some meat. I don't care what it is. You need to, you need to share food, have a potluck, um, do something where that reinforcement of the community connection is, it's nonstop and it's, it's like impossible to break. You have to have a religious devotion to the community itself. You have to put the value of your family and the other families together. If you don't, it won't work. It, it, it can't work because then you become, now, then you start getting into us versus them. And then also you start getting to like, you kind of stop paying attention to what the other people are doing anyways. It might just be you guys and then like, yeah, the outside world. It has to be this continuously focused and replenished thing. Like the energy has to keep funneling back into the thing. Not, oh, can this community help me? And then I keep taking my energy outwards. It's like, oh, I, we have our food here, but then like I keep going out into uh, the real world and I keep, going, I keep traveling and I keep eating at restaurants and I keep going to bars and I keep buying things from other people when we could just actually build it ourselves and I keep watching the news and I keep watching TV and I, I keep all these distractions. My energy goes outward. The energy has to go inward. Well, I definitely know that firsthand from our brief experiences. Like, there, yeah, it was watching movies. I don't think anyone was watching movies sure. or reading books much. Yeah. Or doing anything outside. Why would group. you want to when you're surrounded by people? Yeah, they weren't that. They, I mean, I think some people, there were exceptions, maybe except, especially reading. Some people definitely felt the need to isolate for like an hour. Yeah, I mean, look, breathe, there's like, nothing wrong with that. Woo. There's nothing wrong with that. And I look, I think... Life is more intense like that in a community. I mean, and think about what you can do. If you go spend an hour reading something, and you, you do that, like, you know, just one hour every day, 
and God knows how much you can read in a, in a week, a month, a year, and then you bring that knowledge, but it comes back. You learn something, and then you share it back. You spread it back. And then the thing is, someone else read something too, and you read two different books, and now you have something, and they have something. And now you can put those things together, and now we learned uh, a new idea, or we learned a new skill, or we learned uh, you know, a new art form or something. We learned a new style of music or something. But what we did was we took that and we brought it back to the inside. Not outward, not outward, but inward. Have you been to the Yellow Deli? No. There's one on Pearl Street. Okay. If anyone knows this conversation, and they, they, they'll get what I'm asking. Um, What's the Yellow it's, Deli? It's, 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 I don't know. One of the, the quotes, I think, on their wall was about the Yellow Submarine, and we all live in the Yellow Submarine. Okay. The Beatles. Um, this is bringing up some big stuff, I bet, for people. Thank you. Thank you for sure. um, your time here and your exploration and your presence and, like, your, your um, yeah, passion and enthusiasm. I mean, it's almost, it almost sounds like you're saying in order to build a successful community, you, you have to build a cult. Yeah, you have to. And then, but what about people that have the issue with that word, cult? Well, if, if a word bothers you that much, you're not going to make it. So what, what about the issues with the cult? I guess what people are probably, now I'm going to dissect my question even more. They, I think they typically would be scared of a leader taking over their collective thought in a way that was destructive to them. Well, and that happens. That, sure. Historically, it has happened in some cults that definitely get a lot of media. So the, the, the thing with the, the natural experience of the human condition is that we fall into hierarchy whenever there's more than one i don't even it's not even just humans whenever there's more than one being in one place there's always a power situation it just has to happen because safety is of the utmost importance right it's in our it's 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 our primal instinct to like look at our surroundings and judge our safety and so the second you're 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 in the presence of another person you are judging what your level of safety is with that person. You're reading their, their facial expressions, their body language, trying to understand a certain level of safety. But then you start, you, then you get further into it and you start uh, reading their other traits and characteristics and their skills and their abilities. And you start kind of creating this, this hierarchy of sorts. And it's not necessarily that like one skill set is always more important than another, but things kind of start to shake out in a certain kind of order. And it's, it's just natural. And so if you have a community, eventually something that looks like a leader will naturally emerge because you'd have to try not to. And I think, I mean, granted, you could have... You, you know, you could try to have some like weird democratic process where everyone kind of votes sort of a thing. And that could work. Maybe. I don't, I don't think that democracy really tends to work, but I think scale is very important. We're not supposed to live with 330 million other people and their interests in mind. We have, uh, you familiar with the Dunbar number? Yeah, I just wrote it down. Yeah, right 150. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah. And so... That's kind of the limit of what we can really deal with and keep track of. Um, and I think it's, it's probably natural and potentially inevitable as people try vying for power and improving their position 
um, that something that resembles a leader is going to kind of come into place. But just like with what's happening in the world right now, the power of the combined rest is always more than the leader themselves. And a society that's built with people who are all very capable should be able to keep that kind of thing in check. Now, I mean, I think the reason why you see so many things have gone wrong is just go look at all expressions of humanity put together. And shit always goes wrong. doesn't matter if it's a small cult or a whole country or whatever it is. You... Like it's it's always a mess when people are arguing about oh I want uh, this political system or I want that one I want her president no I want her to be a king no I want her to be, it'd be socialism they're all a mess <laughs> they're all a mess and there's always something at the top and that thing at the top inevitably creates problems and it's no different than not being in the cult you're dealing with things that are way, way further away from you in, as far as the power they have over you. I would much rather have some guy being a cult leader to me than I would have some mayor or governor or president tell me what I can and can't do. The thing with the cult is you can leave the cult. You can go. You, can, you know, If you don't like the rules, if you don't like the way things are going, you can leave. If a lot of people don't like the way things are going, they can be like, hey, we're not going to do this thing anymore. And if the people understand their power, that will keep uh, you know, whoever the leader becomes in check. But I, like I that. It, it, uh, we can start the you can leave cult. Yeah. That's a pretty good name. You can for leave. A cult. If you I was can leave. To start a cult, you can leave. <laughs> look into that URL. You know, it's it's you can leave.com. So, you know, being like you know, my 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 whole adult life has been like in fitness and and being members of gyms, which have become these little these little communities and kind of these little cults yeah, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, every one that I've been a part of, there's always, you know, people come and go. And there's always sometimes people who are get in there and like no one wants them in there. Mm-hmm. They join and no one is happy about the fact that they're there. And the thing is, eventually those people leave. Now, sometimes they're outright told to leave, which happens, but other times they get the message because people aren't warm to them. People don't invite them to things. Um, if you are sort of not, if you don't fit, and that might mean something like if you're not doing your fair share or it doesn't mean like some kind of work thing, but if you're not kind of carrying energy in a way, like the people don't enjoy talking to you, if people don't enjoy being around you, um, then they're going to avoid you. And that person's going to no longer in, enjoy being there and they're going to leave. Um but you know, to have a community like this, if someone is doing something wrong, eventually either the other people will make them aware of it or they will become aware of it and they will realize that people aren't treating them a certain way. There's really no other way to, again, now you're talking about like, are we just going to start making like laws and start putting in just rules and rules and rules and rules? Or can we just be like, you know what? This isn't a good fit. And if you don't, and also if you don't like the community, you can leave the community. You always have the freedom to do that. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the you can leave, and it doesn't even have to be like, oh, like you can leave as in like you're not welcome here. But it's like, well, no one's forcing you to be here. But I, I appreciate the erring on the side of 
danger with that meme. Yeah. Because it's needed right now. Just because like <laughs> that like the meme that I need to tell that I feel called to tell people is like, oh you you don't actually have to do that. Yeah. You don't actually have to do that. It's and you know just so you it, know. And, and kind of talking, you know, kind of going back to what we're talking about, like what's happening in the world right now and people like not business, you don't have to do this thing. The the thing is with our world is you can't leave because there's nowhere else to go. You can't go to somewhere that doesn't have like a government in place. I mean, it's hard enough to, I mean, to leave, like, you know, if you're going to stay in the country, which if you're a citizen, like it's probably your easiest thing to do because you can't just like, I'm going to move to another country and they're, you know, they have to accept you into their country. You can't just be like, oh, you know what? I hate this president. I hate these taxes. I'm just going to not, I'm going to leave. It's like, you, well, you, you can't really. And so that becomes the, the difference between like the voluntary versus involuntary aspect of it. The communities are voluntary. If you want to be a part of this thing, it's because you choose to be here. Um, you know, it's, but if you go back to the, um, the system that we can't leave, again, the system isn't, all these things are immaterial. They're still all make-believe. You can not follow the rules. Right now, if you're in a little cult community, and this is kind of you know what's better about this is that if you don't follow the rules, everyone around you is blatantly aware of the fact that you're not doing your fair share and you're not making everyone else happy, and they no longer want you in the community. We're way past 150 people. We're at 330 million people. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, I mean. No one actually knows. It's like, yeah, they see you, your, your taxes weren't paid, but they don't know where you are. You can kind of like, I mean, you could become like some, some vigilante off the, you know, but, you know, there's people don't realize that there's so much room to not follow rules, right? Were you telling me that it's like 10 felonies a day? Was that you that told me about that? <laughs> no. Oh, no, I, was, but... I, was, I, was, I was with my buddy the other day. We went out, we went to uh, like the woods and we went shooting. Oh, nice. And apparently there's a book called like, 10 felonies a day or something. Mm -hmm. Apparently every single person in this country commits 10 felonies a day without even realizing it. Oh, wow. Interesting. And it's like a felony is a, is a very serious offense, mm -hmm. but like it doesn't even matter that we do it because apparently we don't even recognize it. And the system doesn't recognize it either. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, long story short, I'm like we were echoing last night. We are in the psychological, the psycho spiritual war of our lifetime right, right. now. So thank you for, uh, <laughs> I took a lot of notes today. <laughs> I mean, as we approach the one hour and 11 minute mark here, do you, do you have anything you want to make sure you say that you have not or, uh, <laughs> any, or any questions for me? No, I mean, I, I, I really am just a, I could talk about anything if you, if you ask me so i bet i feel like we we really didn't even get outside this little bubble but i just we just kept the ball rolling but that's i'm happy it's still a bubble you know like a little child doesn't recognize it if it's not a bubble once it once it goes in the air sure recognizable yeah i love creative constraints it's great isn't it, it? yeah they do a lot um even when i break them hmm. you have to break them sometimes let me think about there was one more thing. I mean, I wrote a lot down here. I wrote going from a chihuahua to a wolf, raw bras, 99 women to one man, young men aren't nannies, education versus domestication versus jail, slow drip right to the left, and then what? 
learning and teaching. You're not supposed to be alone. Oh, you are getting sick. Last night you told me something about you don't believe people can get sick. Do you want to leave us with that or not? Sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> what do you mean by someone can't get sick? So people think of sickness, something that they get. It's like, oh, I caught this thing. But that's not at all what happens. Your body creates what we call sickness. Your body creates a set of symptoms to deal with the world, to deal with what its sort of like environment is. And like in my environment, I mean like inside the body, right? The terrain of the body. Um, so depending on what your state of health is, what you've been eating, what air, water you've been exposed to, what type of emotional trauma you've been exposed to, your body will deal with those stressors in various ways. And those ways look like being sick. You know, think about the, the, the most prevalent symptoms that we have of illness. We have sneezing, coughing, vomiting, diarrhea, sweating. We have skin blemishes, you know, acne, eczema, rashes. Um, all of these things are excretory. All of those things are us getting rid of things. It's coming out through the skin. It's coming out through our, through our various orifices. It's coming out of somewhere. It's us getting rid of stuff. We have what creates stress on the system as these various toxins inside of our body that can come in from these various sources. And the sickness is actually healing. When the, the sickest that you are is when your body is like in the throes of healing the most. And the worst thing you could do would be to stop your body from healing. Like, you know, you know uh, when you get hurt, they say rice, right? Rest, ice, compression, elevation. The guy who like invented that was actually came out like, oh God, no, ice was actually a terrible idea. When you put ice on something, you are trying to reduce the inflammation. Now, you don't want inflammation, but if your body's doing it, it needs to do it. So inflammation, if you sprain your ankle, your body is swelling and it's sending fluid and resources to heal the tissue. If you stop it, you're diminishing your body's ability to heal. If you have a fever, if you have you know, um, a runny nose, whatever, and you try to stop it through some artificial means by some drug or something, and even if you go the, herbal, the, the natural route, the herbal route, the worst thing you could do well, the worst thing you do would be use a pharmaceutical, but the, 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 like, the, the whole wrong idea is to use a natural means to still stop the natural process. What you want to do is you want to assist the process. You want to, you want to push it. You get a fever, go take a hot bath. Keep that going. Keep that flowing, and you'll get through it faster. The worst thing you could do would be to stop it. We need to, if the body needs to heal, it needs to heal. If it needs to detox, it needs to get things out, it needs to do that. So you want to assist it by you can eat things, you can you know, expose yourself to a certain environment, you can, you know, uh, hot bath, sauna, um, you know, warm soups. Like a lot of this stuff is, it's warm because it creates flow, right? It creates, it opens up the, all the pathways, it opens up the capillaries, it opens up all the systems, it flushes things. Now, the, the, the biggest thing that I see of people who try to live, um, in this very like kind of natural, like clean way, and people are really into detoxes is one, they do things that like aren't really um, effective. Like they buy these like weird 
things that are there. It's it's a product that's already so far removed from what the thing really is. It's like a product that's an a powder from an extract from a thing from a thing from a thing from a thing, and it's like there's there's, there's too many steps in between. But the 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 what you see common is they only try to detox without giving your body the actual tools it needs to heal. So you see this happen with a lot of plant-based and vegan types. Their diet is very, very detoxing. They are getting those things out very, very well, but they're not giving their body what it needs to rebuild, which is why they tend to be very, very thin and their body's just getting depleted. They're depleted of, of minerals, of protein, of fat. Um, you, want to, you want to assist the body in its healing process. So you want detoxification and regeneration, which is why the way that I'm eating, I, I feel the best on is the mix of the raw animal foods gives your body everything it needs to regenerate, build new tissue to build cells. You're giving yourself all the building blocks, but you're also the way you eat, meaning a raw primal diet, meaning you have raw meat sitting here on my counter <laughs> yeah. with a pair of scissors that you're going to eat again. And last <laughs> night we ate quite a bit of raw heart. I don't eat raw meat as much as you do. Obviously, that raw heart last night. That though, was so good. I will eat that bison heart raw. That was so good. <laughs> that was so good. Especially that's how it comes comes in tribes vitamins. It is freeze dried, but it is not cooked. But and, so, but so that's the and thing, I think though, right? A difference there. It, sure. It's you like with with your supplements. Is it the is it the same thing as eating that raw food fresh? No, it's not. But it's one step removed. the The problem with most of these products is it's there's a lot of steps removed, and then a lot of times. They're adding things to oh, it yeah. to kind of I know right because there's one other bison liver product on the market and they yeah. add magnesium stearate and it's from grain finished bison sure there you go enough. Um, but yeah so so with and again this goes far beyond like I think the 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 any like good concept should be able to be extracted from the specifics of what you're talking about so if you have you have this kind of diet balance of you have the foods that promote detoxification with the foods that promote regeneration. That way you are giving your body everything it needs to heal, right? Because if healing is, if you think about it like, okay, uh, if you had like a knife in your side, right? One thing is like pulling it out. Another thing is like your body needs to like actually like build the new tissue kind of a thing, right? But if you didn't eat any food, your body would not heal that wound nearly as quickly than if you ate food. So if one, you have to take the thing that's caused the problem out, which is what a lot of the raw plant foods do and getting that detoxification going. And then you need to be feeding the body with the, the most nutritious, regenerating foods there are, which are raw animal foods. So like take that and take it to like, I don't know, let's say perhaps a, um, a community, right? Or like something that looks like a, uh, like even like a broader scale, like political system, you can take, you can be like, oh, there's a problem here. We need to allocate funds to this thing, right? So that might look something that, you know, if you take it to its like kind of the extreme end, something that looks more like a socialistic approach, where you're re you're you're redistributing wealth in various places. You're like, oh, this is lagging. Let's go, let's go give some things here. But you have to keep creating new value you have to keep producing in order to maintain that otherwise you're going to burn through the resources and so what i think what you're seeing with with um long-term plant-based vegan types is that 
over time, they burn through all their body's resources and they need a new. Um, and it's, it's really the idea of can you create things? Um, can, you, can you take in um, energy and resource to build things? And can you get rid of what you don't need? Can you, can you throw away the garbage or can you throw away uh, what no longer serves its purpose? But if you, if you just get rid of everything, right? let's say you're cleaning your house, you're a hoarder. You have to get rid of stuff. You have to get rid of stuff. But eventually, you also need to like replace things. You need to you need to take in as the as the parts of the house sort of start to like break down. You need to like add those things back. You know, you start to build those things back up. Um, but if you never rebuild, then eventually everything kind of deteriorates. Meaning the like when the raw bras did the raw vegan diet compared to a raw primal diet. Is yeah, that what you're yeah. Making? yeah just you'll so. you'll feel good until you don't. And how long have you been eating a raw primal diet, by the way? Um, I started with some elements of it eight years ago. Mm -hmm. um, when I started getting into lots of raw milk, raw eggs, uh, raw liver. Um, but I didn't go like 100% until this year. So I'm like, you know, nine, 10 months. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've eaten like a cooked food here and there, but I'm like 99.9%. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah. I ate some of that bone marrow again today. Yeah, it was good bone marrow. Oh my god, that yeah. thing that, that hits me in the brain. Yeah, I feel like I got like it's like borderline drugs. So with same with the liver and raw milk, I think it's one of the best foods I've. I mean, I eat raw milk's one the main part of my diet. Yeah, a lot of milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, we broke we broke through for sure. Uh, all right, uh, my bladders. I'm about to break through my bladder <laughs> with a ur urination. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Wow. I think it's hilarious that you were, you know, being like, oh, we should get you on the podcast. Like, where are you at? I'm like, I'm actually in Boulder. <laughs> like, yeah, what? that, I mean, oh, yeah, you shared the meme. You shared the meme about how many people have died from opiates, right. which is FDA approved, right? versus raw milk. Right, which, which is not. Not Do you approved. remember the numbers are close to what they made? It, it, it was like uh, like forty eight thousand people a year die from opiates. Only forty eight thousand. Forty eight thousand. Okay. And then, um, according to the CDC, point two three people die a year from uh, raw milk, but they've really never properly attributed a death to raw milk. It's like it's like someone died and they also happen to have drank raw milk like one that sounds interesting to the how certain deaths are being reported yeah, as well yeah if you notice that that they don't really um they don't really record deaths about certain things in an accurate way um so i know for a fact that one of those deaths you know they did they took an 11 year period and recorded three deaths from raw milk or maybe it was 13 years and one of those was a was a, a small girl who drowned in a pool. But she also had raw milk within the last couple of weeks prior to drowning in a pool. Hmm. What study? That sounds crazy. <laughs> that sounds like so crazy and so normal. If I watch the news, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go keep breaking normal. I think yeah. we have a walk on our... On our radar here. We're How do people find sure. you? What's the best way to people for to, to team up with you to support you, uh, whatever it is? Huh? Yeah, I, my, my uh, Instagram, and Twitter are at Josh Rayner Gold. Rayner is R A I N E R. 
Um, I have my like Mount. Uh, is that the same as Mount Rainer? Rainier or no? No, you know? no, okay. no. I'm different, naming, different spelling. I'm naming, yeah, that's uh, Rainer is Austrian. We'll put the name in the show. Yeah, show notes and then right. uh, I have a website called Animal Food Plant Medicine. Uh, oh, Animal Food Plant Medicine. I right. like it. So it's that balance of of the food that gives you nourishment is the animal side, and the food that kind of like does that kind of uh, pointed detoxifying processes on the plant side. So your medicine comes from plants and your food comes from animals. Um, I'm, yeah. Coconut water? What do you think about coconut water? Coconut water is great. Love coconut water. Oh, I love it. Um, can, yeah. So do you the, believe in breatharians? I mean, I, I, you mean like, do I believe that they exist? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, the human body is capable of crazy, crazy things. Do any of those people who either, let's say they actually do it or claim to do it, do they look like they're really capable of doing much? Are those people useful? Uh, yeah, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even <laughs> attempting. I'm just doing some rapid popcorn as sure. it comes to my mind. I mean, look, you know, uh, people can be people can be vegan, right? Go show me a culture that is vegan generation after generation after generation. So any of these breatharian types, if if your diet doesn't allow or doesn't lead to the proliferation of healthy future humans, it doesn't really work. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's that's one of the that's uh, once again as I'm breaking the cre- creative constraint. I love having them because otherwise. I think my life would be out of control because, like, due to curiosity and such. Yeah. And I think some self-imposed creative constraints is the way of perpetuating my creativity. So yeah. thank you for being a part of it this evening. Of course. Find them Instagram and that website one more time. Yeah, uh, the Animal Food Plant Medicine. Rasta. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, man.